All right, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I am Adam Rappaport. Uh, on today's show, we've got our old friend, editor-at-large, Andrew Knowlton, stopping by from his new home in Austin, Texas. Uh, Andrew spent 18 years at Bon Appetit. Uh, many of them travel in the country and critiquing restaurants from coast to coast. And, uh, well, he just opened up a restaurant, or at least helped open a restaurant, the Carpenter's Hall at the Carpenter Hotel in Austin, Texas. And... I don't know, I wanted to catch up with Knowlton and ask him what it's like to be on the receiving end of all that criticism now and, and what it's like actually running a restaurant. But he didn't just open a restaurant. As you may know, Knowlton is also the host of The Final Table, uh, the new Netflix cooking competition show. So uh, I talked to him about that as well. And after that, I talked to David Tamarkin, editor of BA sister site Epicurious, uh, about his new cookbook, Cook 90, uh, which he started a few years ago as a cooking challenge on Epicurious.com, in which Tamarkin, for some reason, crazy guy that he is, uh, set out to cook three meals a day for 30 straight days. And now it's a cookbook. All right, let's do this. Here is Andrew Knowlton. Uh, Nolton, so um, how is life on the outside? It's different. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the holidays quite aren't the same because I've been, you know, usually when you have a nine to five or whatever job, we have a place to be every day. You look forward to the holidays and when it's all kind of, I'm not saying it's a holiday, but it, it, the difference between working and not working, it's kind of... It all blends together. Yeah. Well, especially where when you work in restaurants, as any sort of industry professional will tell you, like, oh, yeah, like, Tuesday and Wednesday are my weekend. That sort of thing. Like, right. the weekends aren't the weekends. Right. The, the schedule kind of, yeah, just it, the weeks and days just kind of bleed together. But but none of this was intentional. Like, I had no idea when I got involved in a hotel and restaurant that I wasn't supposed to be there. Like, I was supposed to, like, help recruit a chef and work with the staff and give my opinion to anybody who would listen. But like anything that you care about, it's hard to remove myself from just the daily, like being on the floor. Yeah. Cause you're like, you, you're the one who probably notices the details more than anyone else. And it kills me. And it's all in the details. It, it, I, I told my wife the other day, the only person that it would probably bother worse than it bothers me is you. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. there's constant lighting issues, there's music issues. The bane of any restaurant, especially front of the house, is marking. Do you know what marking is? No, what's marking? Marking is when you mark your tables. After you clear, let's say, an app, and you take their silverware away, you have to mark their tables for the next course. Wait, so how do, you, what is that, how do you do that? What do you mean? So You mark with, you. it's just a phrase that's when you put the next utensils down for the next, like okay. when you're entree. Yeah. So... Position one is having steak. You know you need to give them silverware, and, and because that person's having a steak, they get a steak knife. Or if you're at a yeah. fancy restaurant, you get a, a fish Yeah, fish yes. knife or a spoon if there's soup and, coming. And, and waiters, most servers, do not. They refuse to mark their tables. So what's the worst thing is when you deliver food to a table, and they don't have silverware. Yeah, and you're like, um, thanks, but I don't have a knife for my steak. And then it you're is, sitting there staring at the yes. steak, and you can't just pick it up and like it a is, burger. It is the most awkward moment in a restaurant. There's no other thing that can make the record just like... Okay, so... So you spent 18 years at Bon Appetit. No, indeed, 18 years. You spent literally a, like a lifetime 
at this one magazine. I know. That's insane. <laughs> okay. The, and then you're, you're segueing. You're like, I got to get out. I didn't say I got to get out. I was just like, it felt like- There a, were many nights at like uh, Prime Meats or whatever in Brooklyn where you probably said those exact words. Yes. Over a whiskey. Well, I never got to, I never got to be you at the top. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, Rappo's not going anywhere. So what am I going to do? Who knows? Um, <laughs> so this notion of the guys who run the carpenter who are- you want to, you're yeah, now, yeah. So. so I got involved with a group called the Mighty Union, uh, which my wife is a part of, and then uh, three other people who have had their hands in a few other hotels, including the uh, the original Ace Portland, which they still are a part of, and they have a place in Oregon uh, outside of Portland called Subtle Lodge, and they wanted to get involved and do a number of hotels. So the first property is called the Carpenter, which is an old carpenters union uh, in Austin, Texas just behind a P. Terry's on South Lamar, right near Lake, Ladybird Lake. And they kind of brought my wife and I on to do the F&B for this hotel and a hotel that's opening in San Antonio and one that's opening in Honolulu. Okay, first question. So our friend from the Ace Portland. Donald Kenny. Donald Kenny. He's involved, right? He is. He's he's more of the, I would say, we're all involved, but he's yeah. more of the hotel side of things. Okay. He, he knows how to run a hotel. Okay, so, but, so Donald, who is also one of these persons, if you're ever in the Ace Portland, as for Donald, who who is a man of details. He appreciates the, the small things. He gets it right. He's on top of it. Notices everything. He's the consummate. He's he's about hospitality. Yeah. Did he think to himself, like, I know how to run a hotel. I have opinions on restaurants, but I'm not the day-to-day person to oversee the launch of a restaurant. Right. I think he... I think I traveled a lot with him because every time I would go to Portland or even Seattle or he would come to New York, like he was a great eating buddy. Like he can yeah. eat hardcore. And I think he saw somebody in me that he saw himself on the hotel side. Okay. So I was the restaurant equivalent. Right, so a good to compliment him. to him. So yes. so when you when you guys talked about would you come on to do this, what did you think the scope of the job was going to be and what did you think your most sort of important contribution to getting this restaurant open would be? You know, it's easy to say like, oh, just because I've been to a lot of restaurants, that that means I can run a restaurant. Like, that's totally not true. But you can criticize people but I can't. For, <laughs> for trying to run a restaurant. Yeah. You should talk to the people I work with now. That sounds like me. Uh, no, I think I notice things and I know what the ingredients are that go into a successful restaurant. I know the things that I like in a restaurant and I think that makes for a good restaurant. And so my job was to to come in and help develop a team uh, front of the house, back of the house team at the restaurant, whether that's getting somebody from San Francisco to move or getting a chef who used to be in Minneapolis, who was previously in Austin, to come back. So, so just building so a get, team. get the talent first. So get we- the talent and then work with Chef uh, chef Gray Nonas, who used to be at a place called Olame in Austin. Mm. Uh, and then he went for a short time in, to Minneapolis and he's come back to open the Carpenter's Hall to work with him on the the menu yeah. just to give my two cents it's really it's his baby but i'm just a sounding board i mean he says it's the worst career choice of that he's ever made just like that the person that he is consulting with on the menu is is me yeah <laughs> so you but it's interesting so chefs as like i guess it, it's in how your position might be if we're going to bring it back to publishing um you're kind of the editor and if, and if he's the writer it seems like you're the one who says, this is good, but how about we 
also add this or we take away that. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there's, yeah. Like, why, why is this that way? Or um, I think it's more to ask questions rather than to be say, like, change this, do mm. that. It's yeah. more like, why are you using that green goddess on that and mm. not on something else? But you also bring, as someone who's eaten around a lot, understands the ingredients, the formula for a successful restaurant, I imagine you also said to him, like, all right, listen, we need a, club, a really good club sandwich on the menu. Everyone's doing some version of schnitzel or panko right. crusted katsu. We should really have a cutlet somewhere on the menu. Right. right. We should have some sort of cob sort of niçoise salad. Is that fair to say? Is that kind of how yeah, you approach yeah. the I menu? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it, it, it's a double thing because we we are not we, there's no concept behind the carpenters hall. It's not like oh that's a Thai place or that's an Italian mm-hmm. place. And sometimes when it's more of a kind of. Uh, kind of it, you can't put your finger on what the restaurant is that that sometimes is hard for people to relate to it's just kind of like a an american restaurant that draws influences from all over it's 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 a hillstone or a houston if you will which is not a bad model for any restaurant as you all right so a couple of things you can f- check out andrews if you listen now go on to instagram to andrew o Knowlton. that's correct right. That's uh, right. and you can see a lot of photos of the dishes that you guys developed for the restaurant. Uh, you could also read Andrew's brilliant piece on Hillstone <laughs> and Bonapetit.com. Um, but it's, I think what, what strikes me about the restaurant is that, um, and I mean this in a good way. Um, <laughs> you it, never mean it that way when you have yeah, to say no, it. No, it's, it's more of a greatest hits album than a, just a sort of I don't want to say concept album, but just a one album with one point of view. Because like I said, there is a lot of, oh, I want to eat that. I want the chicken payar, the crunchy rice and quinoa bowl. You've got, I'm just reading off the menu, yeah. the lunch menu now, the vaquero bean dip with sesame crackers. The, you have like the smash burger. It's all gooey with American cheese and great bun and whatnot. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of hits in the way that Hillstone does that where you see it on the menu and the first thing you think is, oh, I want to order that. But I also want to order that. Ooh, and I might want to get that. Yeah, I think I think the one thing I learned from eating out is that the older I got and the more I ate out is I like the simplicity in cooking. And I think everybody, if you look at cookbook authors, the books that they produce later in life are always the most simple. Like yeah. whether it's Richard Olney, like yeah. his seminal book was Simple French Food or Alice Waters or you know any, any of these writers. It goes back to the roots of like cooking. And I think... That's what Gray and I wanted to do with the menu is like not hide behind, you know, micro flowers or micro herbs or just not not do anything that we thought people wanted us to do, but just to cook the food that we wanted to eat. I know that's a cliche yeah, but, now. But, all right, but did he or were you like, dude, no, you need rain that in bin. You're, I know you're a chef and that you can know how to do this, but I, like, that's a, a, that's one notch too, too I far. I will say that Gray's been... I can't imagine any other chef. Careful, he might be listening. No, no, I know. (laughs) I can't imagine any other chef being as gracious and open to teamwork as he is, because many chefs, many great chefs are egoist. I mean, that's what makes them great. Yeah, the good one, they're committed. So let me ask you this. Name one instance in which you stuck to your guns and you think you're right, and one instance where he stuck to his guns on a dish. Well, we're kind of going through that right now with a few dishes. No, I mean, I think... Or give me some examples. Well, there was a... There was a fish dish on... Uh, See, there's your first mistake. You don't like fish. <laughs> well, neither does Texas. Yeah, unless exactly. It's fried, yeah. And, and it starts with red nins and snapper. No, I, I think it, it wasn't specific dishes. It was more plating. I think some... Oh. He had a tendency 
and and I've, I've told them this. I think any chef had a tendency to overplate food. Yeah. And it just didn't come across as, I think, the way that we ended up wanting it to. And I will say a lot of, like, a lot of the things that we talked about was on Instagram. Like, I would look at specific dishes on Instagram, and I'm like, it doesn't have to be as stark as, you know, Lyle's in London or even, like, an Estella in New York or Altro mm-hmm. Paradiso. But it needed to just just let it be, you know. Well, and I and I noticed that. And Instagram is an interesting barometer. I talk about it a lot at work in terms of the dishes we develop. Is that what I like about Instagram as a sort of litmus test? Is that the reaction is immediate because yeah. as you're scrolling through, either you stop or you don't. That's right. And like I love like the, your 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 schnitzel shot on Instagram, beautiful crispy cutlet with that cool black garlic chimichurri on it. Yeah, and that's kind of it. Yeah, you're like boom. I get that. The and cop- we went, we went with a smaller plate. Like yeah. we were going back and forth on the size of the plate. This is the kind of thing you think about yeah. when you're opening restaurants. Like, do but you, you go- don't think about it when you're no, going to a restaurant. you don't care. But when you get that smaller plate and you get the schnitzel, which is a half a chicken that's boned and then flattened out, when that thing is hanging off the side, you have that reaction. Like you, you know, if you've ever been to Berlin or Frankfurt and seen those huge schnitzels, yeah, yeah. Um, we wanted that reaction, and I think. That's something you think about when you're opening a restaurant is just like you would with Instagram is like the minute it hits your plate, it's hard not to like something that looks good. Yeah. That you're like, oh, I want to eat that. And it's like we've had we've struggled with the club sandwich, which sounds silly. Like it's a hard thing to plate because we don't want to slice it into fours because I feel like sometimes it could be difficult to eat in fours. Okay, first of all, you're wrong. The a club sandwich has to be cut in fours. It that's, doesn't. No, it, it doesn't. doesn't. That's, no, what, it doesn't. that's what makes it a club no, it sandwich. You have no. you need toothpicks. It needs to be in fours. There's toothpicks. That's picks. what makes it a club there's sandwich. There's frilly. There's frilly toothpicks. Otherwise, it's like a Dagwood or no, something. No, no, because I think as long as the eating sensation itself is the same, and you get that same visceral, like there's triangles to eat, like you're eating the side. I've done the experiments. It's not triangles. You're eating a half. Well, it's, it's, it's a technical triangle this, if you cut it on the... It is the triangle. It is a triangle. It's what just kind of two bread, triangles. What kind of bread are you even using for that? We're using the most magical bread on the planet, which Bon Appetit, I think, is doing a feature on called Japanese milk bread. Mm, Japanese milk bread. Which yes. Gray got the recipe from his wife's family. She's Japanese. And it is the lightiest, lightest fluffiest. It's almost like a cross between crappy American white bread and delicious brioche. It's not as like buttery and rich as a brioche but it has that same kind of pliability and like you can literally take take japanese a loaf of japanese milk bread and smash it down to till it's like flat like a piece of paper and then it'll just like five yeah puff back up it's pretty amazing so i'm looking at the photo online on the insta uh what kind of mayonnaise Hellman's. All right. Well, I only, don't know if, uh, I, I know if like Texas is a Duke's state or not. No, no, no. no. Well, only one of two things that we don't make in house. Okay, you have the frilly toothpicks in there, which Absolutely. I like. Absolutely. That see, that's a non. You can't mess with that. Um, do you roast your own turkey breast? We do. And we then, do. And then you shave it on a slicer. Yes, okay. we do. Same thing with the roast beef sandwich. And then what about the bacon? The bacon is from Oklahoma. It's mm-hmm. just uh, we don't cure our own bacon. Yeah, but yes. well, I know that. But I'm saying, yeah. do you do you have thoughts like on how thick it should be? Do you want like you know what I mean, like that sort of? Uh, that, well, that. we we went. It should be thicker than you think because mm-hmm. I, I don't wa- I don't like more than one piece kind of stacked on top of each other because then I think bacon is one thing that can overwhelm yeah. a club sandwich, yeah. and I think the point of a club sandwich is the mayo first, yeah, the crispy bread, and then the turkey. That's have you have you seen the fit. club sandwiches where every 
stratification of the sandwich is the exact same thickness. So the bread yeah, 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 is yeah. the same. That's what I mean. Because in Europe, they use that really thin white bread. Yes, right. Uh, how often do people not want the middle slice of bread? The soaker slice, as we call it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the yeah. soaker slice. Um, not often, but I think what you'll see people do is they, which is a little disturbing, is they'll they'll make two sandwiches out of it. So they'll they'll take they'll take the you know it's like basically two sandwiches stacked yeah. on each other, but there's no double piece of bread in the middle. So one they'll eat like open faced, and the other one making a sandwich. Are these people? People, if you watch people eat food, they're really weird. Like some people dissect it. Some people like if they see something brown, like you. If there's a mushroom in something, people freak out. I'm not. I'm not knocking the customers that come in, but I had no idea. I really didn't. I had no idea that the substitutions and the intolerances and the the allergies had gotten to this point in the United States of America. There, is there, is, every ticket that comes through has, has red, has like a red thing that's you know no peanuts, no soy. I mean, did you see Ignacio uh, from Altro Paradiso the other day posted on Instagram a receipt because Michelle Obama came into Altro Paradiso the other night. And the ticket, I don't know who's who was actual time, the ticket was littered with like, go look it up. It's 10, 15 uh, from, from, allergies. From people in her party. Yeah. It was wow. outrageous. Is there anything you guys won't buck on or? Well, I'm. I feel like I'm... That's probably a contentious point between the front of the house and the back of the house is I would say chef rightfully so like sticks to his guns and says like, no, like I'm not, I'll do that. I'm but not what? doing that. Give me that. an example. Well, I think there's the club sandwich is mm-hmm. a huge thing. He will not budge on that anymore. Like if you want, if you don't want tomatoes, he'll take that out, but he's not going to substitute yellow mustard yeah. or whatever. Animal style burgers, like that people come in and want our griddle burger wrapped in iceberg lettuce like that's a normal request now he will not do that he will not do that uh and then do people get in a huff and walk out or are they just like okay whatever i'll order something else i i I mean we try to accommodate it i mean they don't walk out but if somebody else is doing i mean we added somebody we had this pappardella with mushrooms uh it looks also quite good lion's mane mushrooms like uh, golden oyster mushrooms and it had shiitakes and a woman said she didn't eat shiitakes but she, she, she would eat, eat the other, other mushrooms so what yeah so can we take the shiitakes out and that was already kind of like a it had been made into yeah. a ragu of sorts yeah. so it's just i think you, you know what i think i think like there is a school of being a public figure or being a restaurant so there's that sort of school of like thought of either being charles barkley or david chang where you just come out from the beginning and say like hey no this is what i'm doing yeah. if you don't like it Take your business somewhere else. Don't listen to me. Screw off. But like, this is how I operate. Yeah. Deal with it. I also. And if, but if you but if you accommodate in the beginning, then you're gonna always be right. accommodated. I think I think it's also people feel more comfortable at a hotel restaurant. Yeah, if you talk will, about requesting. that. Talk about so you're, you're the Car- Carpenters Hall restaurant is in the Carpenter Hotel. Yes. How does operating a restaurant within a hotel differ? It's it's. It's a 24-7 thing, right? Because we open at 7 a.m. for breakfast. Last ticket goes out at midnight, but the bar stays open till 2. We have a cafe that is open most of the day. So 
that's something I think chefs had a hard time is there's no time to reset. You're always open. Like when you yeah. have pre-shift meeting, which is when the waiters and the staff meets before you, the customer comes in and says who the VIPs are, who the special is that's happening in the dining room while there might be people seated there. Cause we have no place to go. It's just, you know, this just operation always that's all the time. Um, but I do think in, in breakfast, you know, I hear your voice in my head a lot when like people are like, <laughs> It's not salty enough or, yeah. you know, breakfast is the hardest because people expect breakfast to be exactly the way that they would make it at home. Definitely the most particular. Particular. Of, and of eggs things. are the yeah. bane of every hotel chef's existence. Yeah. It is hard to cook eggs the way that every single person wants their eggs. Yeah, it's like I want it sunny side up, but I don't want that weird little foam right. over the yolks. Or, and, you and, know. and we're trying to explain the way that it seems like the staff of BA eats their eggs is that kind of Spanish style, that like hard fry and yeah. olive oil, mm. but still it's hard to tell people like if they'd have yeah. never done that how to do that do you say uh, do you explain them as crispy eggs we, we call them eggs? yeah we call them on the breakfast menu the, with the barbacoa oh yeah yeah we call them Spanish style best selling item on the menu so far uh, dinner it's it's the schnitzel it's yeah. definitely the schnitzel um, and the caviar with the potato chips so we have Oklahoma caviar which is delicious farm raised caviar fairly priced and then what it, sort of fish is it from it's from Hackleback, hmm. um, and you get an ounce of it, uh, and it comes with a bag, literally a small bag of Ruffles potato chips. See, that's like a that's like a clever concepty thing that seems like someone like you, who's been around and eaten a lot and taken notes, would think of in a smart branding way more than a chef who has a vision. Well, that was the that was one of the debates. It wasn't necessarily with Gray because I think he was into it, but people when they first saw the bag of Ruffles going out. We're like, why are why aren't, a why aren't we making our own potato chips? Which yeah. I hate homemade potato chips. That's like saying why aren't we making our own Fritos for the right. Frito pie? It's like right. no, it's not how it works. So we just put the bag, and it's been the number one thing that like yeah. I don't care about Instagram moments or yeah. anything, but people like Instagram. But there's that. also those certain dishes, which I'm sure you thought about, where people see going by when a waiter's delivering it to another table, and they're like, oh, what's that? Exactly that and the schnitzel. Like people yeah. see that and like I want that. What um. What's a dish you've had to take off your off the menu because it just hasn't worked? Well, we're only a month and a half in, so we've tried to like dig our feet in and 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 see how things will go over time. Uh, we did have a um, a nor a crispy Norwegian waffle, so it was like a heart shaped waffle that came with the bean dip, and that just people didn't understand how to eat that. Uh, they see like a waffle and let's just let's just interrupt that Andrew's wife is from Norway. That one's a little too close to home. It was too close to your heart that you know you needed to recuse yourself from that decision. I did. Process. It, it had to come off. I mean, there's been some tweaks and all that, uh, but but we we stayed true to to what what we have going right now. In terms of, I would think managing people has to be a challenge, maybe even more so than managing a menu. Fair. Absolutely. Have you had to fire anyone yet? Me personally, no. You know, I think with any new opening, uh, <laughs> you have people that uh, work out or maybe they're not happy or, you know, the hard thing is you, you uh, servers need to make money. And if you, it, you know, Austin, Texas is a wonderful food city, but it's not New York City in terms of like the minute you open all, there's like 10 different media mentions and yeah. people are banging at the door. So it's been like, and that's good because we've had time to get up to speed, but now that we're doing 150 covers a night, um, you know, I think you get the the good servers from the ones who 
perhaps haven't had that experience yet is is the big difference. I mean, you hear David Chang and you hear, you know, Missy Robbins or whomever it is complain about staffing. It's like it's really hard to get. It's not hard to get cooks. It's hard to get good cooks who are passionate about what's going on as you. It's just like yeah. anything, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's you, also like you you expect people to care as much as you, but you're like, hard. but you're paying them thirteen dollars an hour. And yeah. it's not their and, restaurant. Why should? And they're they trying to pay rent, you? and like when I'm breathing down somebody's neck, being like, why don't you know what stracciatella is? Like I have to take a step back and be like, not everybody know. Not everyone yeah. works at a magazine for eighteen <laughs> years about food. I mean. That and that to go back to where we started, that's the hardest part is like I'm a restaurant junkie, whether it's eating in them Mm. or, uh, you know, I worked at one where I met my wife way back when in Brooklyn. But like that's the hardest thing for me is to remove myself from the floor. I don't really do anything except just watch tables and freak out. And and you have to be able to pick. You can't nitpick people constantly. Like, Like you have to you can't just constantly berate people and you have to take a step back and and decide when you do that and then the other thing that's really taxing is you notice everything you notice everything when you make a magazine or or when you're remodeling a house you but but the the consumer the guest doesn't recognize that stuff so deciding what matters the most to them what's the breakdown of revenue from alcohol to food well, it's, we're so new, and we're also a hotel restaurant, so people drink at like, a hotel what are they drinking? restaurant. Like, they love like cocktails. Cocktails. They love. I mean, one of the things that will ruin Austin, Texas, as a food city is the allegiance to the margarita in that town. I was going to say, it must be. Do you have to have like specialty margaritas no. on the menu? No. They, they, people just want a shit ton of margaritas, <laughs> and they don't need to be like cranberry nope. or nope. pomegranate margaritas. Nope. Yeah, just give me a margarita, rocks, salt. Yeah, it's it's like I don't know what the equivalent in New York would be, maybe a martini, but it's yeah. like I can just sit at the bar sometimes and hear the margaritas. It's not on the menu. Like we don't put it on the menu because we don't have to. So you have to just squeeze a hell of a lot of limes every day. Yeah, I mean we're ready for it. Yeah. I mean we do a Tommy style margarita, which, which is means what? No triple sec mm-hmm. and no Cointreau. It's uh, just agave syrup. Uh, lime, uh, a little simple syrup, and then tequila. Why do you use simple syrup and agave syrup? Just a little bit. Uh-huh. But yeah. you can't just do as agave? I think sometimes it's a little rich. Mm-hmm. I think you need a little bit of sweetness, what's a your, little more sweetness. What's your rail tequila for a basic margarita? Tapatio. Okay. You asking me or telling me? No, I'm telling okay, you. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was asking, like, have you have you heard of that? Yeah. No. no but okay. I don't live in Texas. Do they do the natural wine thing down there? Our wine list, which I had a big hand in, is uh, almost all uh, natural wine. How, how's that going over? Um, it's okay sometimes. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a battle. You get bottles or glasses sent back that there's something wrong with this wine or it's funky. <laughs> and you know, I get it. They just want like a Napa cab. You know, I, I, that's not just Texas. That's yeah. everywhere. You yes. know, walking up, I want a Merlot or Chardonnay. And, and that's where, you know, you have to have good servers who can, you know, certainly not respect those requests and say like, hey, we don't have that, but we have this. Try this. Um, but it is hard because you don't, the, the, the other rule is if you, by the time somebody walks into a restaurant and you've said no to them like four times already, yeah. like, oh, do you have this vodka? No. Do you have a Merlot? No. No. You know, do yeah. you, can you, can wow. you, can God. you put, can you put mustard on my club? No. And already you've lost them. Yeah. You can't say But that's say what's so no hard because you want a point of view, you want to, uh, uh, identity. Right. But then you don't want to, you're not actively trying to piss off the customer. But I think you have to gain people's trust. It's like Balthazar in New York. Like people don't, people go in there and have their issues too. But like once you create a restaurant that people are happy to be in and the vibe and they become 
they 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 kind of succumb to to the allure of yes, that restaurant. Right. Sure, I'll try snails. Right. And that's what I've always said about why I've had a lot of good meals is because I met that restaurant halfway. Like for two hours of my life, I left all the things that I my prejudices or my likes or my dislikes at the door and I give myself to that restaurant and if they take me to a cool place, then I like that place. And if they don't or there's no vision of where they're yeah. taking me. So that's why like I don't like sir, customers or anybody who comes in and is like, oh, this isn't like the other place. Well, because it's not. This is... Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. You also, you, you moved to Texas. You decided to open a restaurant. You also... Are on a television show. I am, yeah. The Final Table. The Final Table. Um, Can't even say that out loud anymore. Debuted on Netflix about a month ago? Yeah, November. I think it was just beginning of November. It, it came on. Now, do people come up to you at the restaurant like, hey, are you the guy from The Final Table? I, I, I get more of, I get that like F-level celebrity where it's like, I know you from somewhere. <laughs> have, have we met before? And I'm like... No. And then like they come back like five minutes later and like, you're that guy who wears the uh, pocket, the pocket. Um, pocket. All right. Can we, can we, all right. So final <laughs> table, if you haven't watched it, big, big time uh, food competition show. I, I have some questions. We'll try not spend too much time, but um, yeah. So how did the wardrobe situation go? Uh, well, they had a stylist who we went through multiple suits and, and pocket squares was a pocket square like that had to be a thing? Like we're doing a pocket square? I That's think it became thing. a thing. Uh-huh. It became a thing. As well as these little buttons that were on here. They weren't American flags, but they were just little, I don't know if you even saw those little buttons. Oh, like a lapel pin, you mean? It, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it wasn't like, it yeah. wasn't a flag or yeah, something. Yeah. It was like just a design. Well, what did you think of the wardrobe, Mr. GQ? It was it was bold. Um, I, I will personally, I am not a... I, I like a pocket square. I'm more of the square fold than the, oh, than the poofy. I see that. Yes. sort of thing. Right. You know, going more Don Draper than right. Than you know, more than, than the, Robert Goulet right. or someone. I definitely, th- <laughs> I definitely think there's a because I had the same reaction. Like they put me in this like bright blue, like look like more of a Steve Harvey type suit. Oh yes, and. And they're like, no, 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 it looks really I, good on I, camera. I will say this, though. Steve Harvey, much sharper these days. Like I remember when I was at GQ and I'd go to Magic, the men's apparel showcase thing in Vegas, and his, his suit line was always there. And this was like, oh, all right, sure, eight, nine, ten years ago. But they were always like five, six-button suits and like very zoot suity. And now like Steve's looking sharp. I don't you know, know if you've noticed his that. Own, he has his own line. That's what I'm saying. I, oh, I yeah. used to go there and yeah. it was his line. But now it's very like right. almost Tom Ford-like. He's on TV with his black suit and white shirt and black tie. And, and his mustache. Did he shave his mustache? I don't know, but oh. I think yeah, Harvey's uh, good. But there's definitely that like TV host look that you have to be a little bit bright and flashy, which yeah. would not be my date, as you know me, not yes. my day to day thing. So they said you can't just wear a baseball hat and shorts. No, that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, you're on, you're on TV. You're in, when you walked on set for the first time, were you like, holy shit, this is like a serious? Pro-. I mean, like the set itself, the scope and scale of it. I w- I would say I've never been more petrified in my life. I felt like I was in like. A, like the second grade like holiday sing like yeah. where somebody's like oh you have to do a solo or something and walk out on stage and you see everybody out there because it's funny when watch like i did that show on food network a couple years ago best baker in america it feels like your show is set like at cowboys at&t stadium whereas <laughs> like mine is like in that soccer stadium that the los right. angeles uh, chargers play in I've, I've i've yes i mean i think and also like and that's a fine stadium but it says yeah with all due respect 
to myself, I think I was, a, that, was that first episode, like I was a deer in headlights, like, and I looked that way. I think I got more natural just having, because it was a huge, I mean, before I, before we filmed there, which is in Culver City in, California, in LA, they just got done filming like a Star Trek sequel. That's yeah. like what kind of a said it was. Big hangar, yes. airplane yes. hangar, essentially. And, it, and people have kind of, I think made fun of it a little bit along like it looks like Battlestar Galactica, like <laughs> the lights. How do you, all right, so you, you've done a lot of press for the show over the last several weeks. Um, what is your most sort of like, what's your go-to succinct description of what the show is? I think it's a global competition that instead of putting chefs up to fail, it puts them up to succeed. Ooh. And I think it, it, it has integrity and earnestness and hopefully it's entertaining at the same time for people but you know it's showing chefs uh, at their best i think at one point you described it I, I i think early on you in a comparison you invoked the world cup a little bit which, yeah i mean i i, I wish uh, there's some things i think you know for the second season that w- hopefully will be even more dynamic with the competitors yeah um perhaps figure a few things out in terms of pacing and all that but it's it's also like the diversity of it and and so so to truly be a world cup it needs to be inclusive but you only have so many competitors and you know it's tough sometimes to get chefs to do these competition shows because they're all a little bit you know skeptical mm, yeah. of, of yeah, the big yeah. and they have to leave their restaurants for a month at a time yeah, like it's a, a big ass yeah. yeah all right we're gonna let you go nolton um oh well so yeah season two that's happening uh I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's likely. It's, it's it's likely. It's just a matter of when, rather. You know. Yeah. So there's no so, film dates yet. Not that I can reveal. And no. that and if it does, assume it does happen, it will be a Netflix thing where it's all dropped at once. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I, I think that that was the that's the big thing for a reality show, uh, unscripted show is like how do you drop it all at once? Are people going to skip to the end and like I said, like see the shark get blown up at the end? No. You're hopefully you'll stick with it. Yeah. To, yeah. All right, we're going to do a quick lightning round. I love lightning. That's the only reason I do this podcast, so I can do lightning rounds. (laughs) Lone Star or Tecate? Tecate. With a lime? Yeah. All right. But can I just say, it has to be a tall boy, Tecate. Everything's tall in Texas. Can. Okay, cool. Um, Host or judge? Host. Judging's too hard, and I, and I have a tendency to be kind of a dick at times yeah. and that and the judging just brings it out of me and you, have I, to, and you have to eat a lot you have to eat but i eat everything on set yeah. you know for the final table lance or mcconaughey oh mcconaughey so if you could hang with one guy one day and absolutely t- and, and, and i will like that's that's my goal in 2019 <laughs> is to have i think he's a wild turkey spokesman uh yeah. whiskey that's my goal. You you with him. You'd rather hang with McConaughey than go cycling with Lance. I mean, I want to. I kind of want to do both, but at the end of the day, yeah, you get one. You get at the one. end of the day. I'm better at drinking than I am at riding a bike. Um, okay, <laughs> we're gonna put that in a pull quote. Migas or breakfast taco? I uh, can I say I like Migas in my breakfast taco. Oh, yeah. all right. We'll we'll let you have that one. Black beans or pintos? I'm a black bean guy. Really? Yeah, I, 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 oh I've been God. converted. I've been converted. I think when you get get really good refried beans, like made properly, the way that Rick Martinez, who used to work in the VA yeah. kitchen, like he, like with the lard and all that, yeah. they're a magical thing. I didn't realize that until I moved to I Texas. Like, I like a whole pinto, though. I, I, I like them both, but I think with a Tex, I mean, Tex-Mex is just, 
it's I know you know this, but it's the biggest thing in tech. I mean, it is huge. Yeah. Party at the Moon Tower mm. or all day at the arcade with unlimited quarters? Arcade. I will say, though, we went to Zilker Lights, which is this big festival in Zilker Park, which is where they have ACL, the big festival. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge moon tower there. Oh, my God. And they make a tree. They put lights up on the moon tower. That's I awesome. put it on my Instagram the other day. So I it's a, But you know what? A moon tower just looks like a big radio tower. It's not like a water tower. What, are, what is it for? I don't really know what a moon tower is, but there's there's like ten of them in in but Austin. But is there a functional? Not anymore. Of? They're de- I think they're all defunct now. They might be cell ta- like cellular service. But towers. what were they originally? I don't know. <laughs> what uh, what was your best game growing up on at the arcade? Ga- oh, it was Galaga. Galaga. I was huge at Galaga. I like that you can still find Galaga. Barton Springs or Hotel Pool? You can't beat Barton Springs. Yeah, with all the salamanders and all that, it's nice. Actual salamanders? Yeah, there's little, little newts that live in the Barton Spring, the Barton Spring newt. It's fun. I love that place. I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. The Carpenter <laughs> or St. Cecilia? Well, the Carpenter. <laughs> Do you, you're, you're saying you'd rather say the Carpenter than St. Cecilia? They're two different experiences. <laughs> Both are magical. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, I'm just asking you. The Saint Cecilia costs a thousand dollars a night. The Carpenter doesn't cost. I'm, I'm not saying it does. I'm just yeah. saying if you could say it won. I, I think w- one of the great experiences in Austin, Texas, is to go to the Saint Cecilia and have a drink underneath those oak trees. Yeah. It's an amazing time. And then go back to your room at the Carpenter. And then go back to the Carpenter <laughs> and have a griddle burger. ACL or SXSW? That would be South by Southwest, Austin City Limits. A- ACL. I yeah. mean, nobody nobody who lives in Austin stays. For South by Southwest, it's it's when spring break is on purpose. So you literally get out of town. Everyone leaves town. For Airbnb South by. your house if you want to. Yes, that makes me feel. ACL is more of a community thing, I would think. So if I come down to South by this March, you won't be there. No, really? No, I, everyone's like we. You leave. That's when you. That's when spring break is. You God, leave. I feel like such a loser. A couple more Spurs, Mavs, or Rockets. You know what? I've always. I'm a big. The big unit, like I'm, I'm a Spurs fan. I don't know. The big unit was Randy, uh, what's his name? Randy Johnson, pitcher. You're talking Tim, Tim Duncan. Yeah, what's Tim Duncan's nickname? I don't know if he had a nickname. Yeah, he did. Well, the big unit's Randy Johnson, which is the most bizarre nickname ever. Wait, did I just? Yeah, you got to find that out. What that is? I don't know. Well, you're going to be converted to Luka Doncic because that guy's the man. He's good, but I, I can never root for Dallas Mavericks. I'm sorry. All right. Tequila or mezcal? Tequila. Mezcal's too smoky for me sometimes. Yeah. What's your What's your tequila of choice these days? That Let's say the La Gratona, the one that I just wrote for in the December January issue of Bon Appetit. Beautiful green bottle. Made of, of recycled Coke bottles. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best sipper to me. I don't know. Just like it's a reposado. All right. People, you can go uh, hang out with Andrew at Carpenter's Hall in Austin at the Carpenter Hotel, or you can catch up with him on The Final Table. Available now on Netflix, right? That's right. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Rappo. Thanks, Andrew. All right. That was Andrew Knowlton, editor at large. And now here is David Tamarkin, editor of Epicurious. David Tamarkin, published author. Welcome back to the pod. 
Thank you. That's me. That's the first time anyone's ever said that, actually. Really? Well, to my face. Do you I'm say sure it? Everywhere you... people are talking about David Tamarkin, published author, but not to my face. When you get your, like, your iced coffee in the morning, do you walk into the coffee place and say, They say, What's your name? And I say, Published author. Yeah. yeah. David Tamarkin. Comma, David Tamarkin. Cookbook writer. Yeah. How's it going? The book came out, what, about a month ago? Uh, yeah, it came out December 11th. Okay. Just in time for the holidays. Yeah. And just in time for Cook 90, January 1. And yeah, so it's been about a month and it's going amazing. Right? You see it everywhere. <laughs> NPR. You did NPR? I did NPR. Talked they, to Audie. I'm obsessed with Audie Cornish. Obsessed why? with her. Well, she's obsessed. She's obsessed with me. I'm obsessed with her. What do you it's mean? Sort of like she, a, it's like no, a, she's not. <laughs> unusual obsession she's actually, society. She's actually cooked from the book. She told me, like, when she didn't say this on the air. She said a little bit of it on the air, but, like, so the there's no ev- So there's no evidence of her actually saying this. She said there was one recipe that she cooked, and so that was amazing. And I got all, like, you know, what is it? Is it Vuklempt. Vuklempt. I was like, that's so sweet that you cooked on the air with her. That's so sweet you cooked this recipe. And then the interview was over, and she's like, oh, by the way, I also cooked this one and this one and this one. I said, oh, my God, you're doing Cook 90. And she said, slow down. <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's, it's day one. Okay, so I, so I do want to get to the uh, the book itself since it's been published, promotion, all that sort of stuff that you've been doing. But let's talk about the genesis for the idea for Cook 90. How much of this idea was born out of your being an editor who needed to come up with the concept to pitch for Epicurious because we need to do these sort of things? And how much of this was you as a home cook saying, I need to cook more? Uh, I think it was, well, I know it was 100% not, well, okay, it was 95% not an editorial choice at, the, at first, but then the next day it became an editorial choice. But at first it was, I was like, I, I feel like a sham, like I don't cook enough and I I'm the editor of this cooking website, of the world's most trusted and best and biggest mm, cooking website. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of other reasons. I was just like spending a lot of money at the cafeteria here at Connie Nast. You yeah. see it there a lot at the sandwich bar. Sandwich bar's okay. Yeah. Yeah, sandwich bar's okay. It's, a, it's really more about the hard-boiled eggs they have in the morning. You can bounce them like tennis balls. If you yeah, want to play they tennis- do, They do overcook the we hard-boiled could, Or we could like play ping pong yeah. here at the studio with the eggs. Um, it was about saving money, and it was about wanting to connect with my readers, which is why I say 5% was an editorial choice. I wanted to understand, well, people who do cook all the time, um, you know, a lot of my readers at Epicurious are, are just really dedicated home cooks, and they have families, and they're, and I can't really understand a lot of what they go through, because I don't have a family. I'm just, you know, it's just me and my boyfriend. And, and at the yeah, time was, that this idea took seed, mm-hmm. you guys weren't even, you were living alone, correct? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So, I'm just laughing because... You know, we got letters. About <laughs> the, the, the last time we did a podcast? Well, the last time we talked about this, I got letters from readers saying, oh, my God, Adam was so hard on you. And he, ha- what is he why was he doing that? And these are from strangers, like, just coming to my defense. Like, he, he was clearly making you uncomfortable. Yeah, but now you guys are living together. together. That's thanks to me. That's right. I was That's forcing, I was forcing the you. issue. It's um, true. It's true. So, yeah. So, you want, you're like, all right, I, I live alone in New York City. I work a lot. Yeah. My readers are very... They're, they're, sort they're of cooking. Of they're cooking more than I am. Families so often. I want to save some money. I want to, and also it was just about. I just felt good at. I just felt. I feel good in the kitchen. I wanted to feel that more. I felt a little bit anxious. I always feel a little bit anxious. Yeah. I feel, I feel a lot anxious, and I noticed. Okay, well, I feel calmer in the kitchen. So why don't I just try to stay here in two thousand whatever that was sixteen. So, if I had been in your shoes, I would have just said to myself, "I I need to cook more," or go to therapy. Yeah, or both. Right, um, right. You, however, I'm in therapy by the way. A lot. I mean, <laughs> Kill a lot. shock. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, but then, where did this notion of like, oh, going from I need to cook more to I'm going to cook three meals a day 
for essentially 30 straight days. That's a big leap. That's a I chasm. Know. I know. And I wish I honestly... I, it, it kind of put me in, right to put me in a situation where now I have to do this every January, and it's actually so far this year it's been pretty easy because I've been doing it for four years. But uh, I don't think it necessarily had to be three times a day for thirty-one but days. Wh- but where did that idea but come from? I guess it just came from ignorance, thinking that that would be easy, that that would not be mm-hmm. difficult, uh, and also just it has just had a nice, it just had a nice completion date on it, or like it was just a nice. It was I've finite. Been month. There yeah, was a right. plan. Finite thing. Cook nineties. A week seemed sort of weak. Yeah. Like it's Ooh, I like, like that. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So you came up with the idea. So and you said about it, and you and you've written about this the last few years on Epicurious. You have a hashtag. You share it on social media. Spread like wildfire. The I readers liked it. You became famous. <laughs> was elected senator. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I to play devil's advocate here. One thing that sort of I feel is very. American, if you will, is that there's we kind of go to extremes. It's either we're all or nothing. We're either drinking too much or we're doing dry January. And I'm going to drink too much, spend too much money on alcohol, and drink too much for 11 months a year. And then one month a year, I'm not going to drink at all. Like, well, why not just sort of moderate your alcohol consumption or your sort of, you know, indulgent, your ice cream consumption year round instead of just taking off an entire month? I think that when you do high-intensity interval cooking or high-intensity interval abstaining. abstaining, it really does make an impact. And what I found is that by doing this you know, very intensely for a month, with no delusions that I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, I know it's just going to be one month. So I can get, so it's easy to get through. But when you do it for one month, you, I do learn a lot about how to fit cooking into my life. And then at the end of the month, I can just like take what I want to take and leave the rest well, out. Yeah. So, what, so are, what, are, what are the residual effects of having done the cook just, 90 a couple of times now? Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you do those other 11 months of the year that you sort of learn by those intensive 30-day stretches? Yeah. So one thing I know about myself is that lunch is the hardest thing for me. Mm-hmm. I can do breakfast is fine. I wake up early. I can do breakfast. I can do uh, dinner. I'm, it's fine. But uh, it's really about lunch. It's hard for me to, to bring a good lunch. That's why I'm spending so much time in the cafeteria or going out here. But it's also the most expensive thing. It drives me crazy how much money it takes to buy lunch around this area. And probably everywhere in America, although in New York, Tribeca is probably more expensive than most. But I spend like $16 a day on a sandwich and a cookie from like that Olive's place. Which is pretty decent, but like it's so, that's ridiculous. That's have you have you tabulated in your cook ninety months how much money you save approximately? No, and I will say, well, yes, in, in years past I have. Yeah, I definitely saved money, but it's not like a huge amount of money because you still have to buy all that food. You're you still spending money. Yeah, but uh, what it is is that you know. So when I take so you save a little bit of money at lunch, you save a lot of money if you're not eating dinners. But also the thing I realized, the the big my biggest takeaway is. Okay, A, lunch is hard. I got to work hard on that. But also B, if I have done my grocery shopping, if I do it all at once one day a week, then I'm so much more relaxed and cooking is so much easier. And I know that may sounds obvious, but a lot of people like me will like decide what they want to eat and then, you know, stop by the grocery store on the way home. And then they get home and then it's like eight o'clock and I'm not eating till nine o'clock. So let's talk about this, how you set up the book. Because, all right, there's the notion of of whether or not people are going to, Wait, do let's talk about what the first oh, thing oh, in the book. Okay, the my, very f- yes my introduction. Yes, don't, yeah. don't 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 pretend like you're not part of this book. <laughs> it's signed and everything. It was a great. Uh, let me just take this moment to publicly say, the best forward of any cookbook 
in 2018. We wow. haven't seen 2019 yet. We don't know. Maybe 2019 too. But definitely getting a beard award for that forward. Thank God. I'm pretty sure it's the only uh, forward I've read of a cookbook in 2018. But um, <laughs> so, all right. So, how are you, all right, you talk about setting up that if, if, if the reader is going to embark on this Cook 90, cooking three meals a day, essentially for 30 straight days, you get three off days, but you have some building blocks. And, and you talk about meal plans, nextovers, the big shop. Right. Meal plan first in terms of actually mapping out those weeks. How, right. do, you, how do you advise someone does that and, and what's the upside of that? Yeah. Every, everything stems from the meal plan. The rest of the – everything you cook and everything you, you shop, the shopping list, it all stems from the meal plan. So I do think that's the first thing you have to do. And I advise that you sit down and you make a grid, a three by seven grid, and you know your your day is at the top and breakfast, lunch, dinner prep on along the side, and that you think about what you have going on that week. So like you know I go to a lot of opera and, and music, so you know I'll put in. That's the first thing I'll do. I'll be like, okay, Wednesday night I'm going to the Met, so I have to have something that I can eat really quickly or that I can either take to work and eat there before I go. That won't get your tuxedo dirty? You're right, my, my tuxedo, <laughs> right. Um, I change, you know, I change. You know, Anna, Anna Winter and I change here in the mm. podcast studio and then we go together in, in, her, <laughs> in her car. So I put down, you know, what your weeks are so you can really understand, like, where where do I actually have time to do good cooking this week and where do I have only time to have good fast cooking? Um, and then you can kind of put in your next overs. And the next over is where you, so for instance, tonight I'm making the cover recipe of the book, which is a sweet potato with chorizo and mushrooms and the slimy yogurt. Um, instead of roasting just two sweet potatoes, which is what we will eat in my household tonight, I will roast six because I will then have the other four on hand for Thursday night when Claire Saffitz is coming over and we're going to have curry. And I'm going to have chick pea curry, which is from canned chickpeas, and the sweet potatoes have already been roasted, so all I have to do is cut those up and throw them in the curry at the last minute and let them warm through instead of spending the 30 minutes to have them cook in the curry. I feel like you're underselling Nextovers. You just said oh. Nextovers. Like, yeah. talk to us about Nextovers. Well, that is, well, so that is the next, so that's the concept. The Nextovers is based on the idea that when you cook daily or when you cook a lot, one meal kind of informs the next. And if you're always thinking ahead, then cooking becomes a lot easier. Because basically, and if you have you that, and your... if you have that meal plan, it's easier to think ahead because you can Absolutely. say Tuesday I'm making this. Okay, Thursday I'm right. going to pencil in the chickpea curry with sweet potatoes, and you can see it all in front right. of you. You can see it all, and you know when basically you're looking at okay, when is my oven going to be turned to 425? Yeah, and what can I get in there to prep ahead? Okay, when am I cooking rice or any grain and and you know, how many cups should I throw in there? Because I'm going to eat it that night, but then I can also use it for my lunches the next Okay, time. yeah. So if I'm making you know, some sort of rice-based dinner, I should right. be thinking, hmm, what, how can this rice play into lunch two days from now or tomorrow? Exactly. I'll double the, the amount of rice I'm making, or it could turn into a some sort of rice soup sort of chicken thing on Thursday, etc. Right. right. That's how daily cooking works. If you're trying to cook from scratch, from meaning if you're trying to start every night with a brand new set of raw ingredients that you've shot for that day, you'll never become a frequent cook because that's what also is my problem is also a lot of stuff goes bad in your refrigerator because you're oh, yeah. not planning ahead. You only use half a head of broccoli or whatever, and then mm -hmm. it wilts. And by the time you like, oh, right. All right. So you have the meal plan. You're thinking ahead. You've got next overs within that meal plan. You're slotting in various recipes from the book, which have nextovers in mind, mm -hmm. they're cookable, yeah. um, we're going to get to some of the recipes. But then on Sunday, say, or Saturday or whatever, you then have to go shop for 
all of those ingredients at once, correct? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah. And so, for example, on the on Saturday, I got my delivery of groceries. Now, I do grocery delivery, and I think that's a huge time saver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a big fan, although it's not perfect because, you know, they don't always have everything, and sometimes yeah. they give you stuff that's in bad shape, and you have yeah. to... I like to I like I like to feel the produce. So um, I do recommend that you you go you either get your groceries delivered you know all at once or you you know you hopefully maybe you have like a, a minivan and you go to the so grocery store and stock you, it up. But you're looking at each recipe with the ingredient list and sort mm-hmm. of just inputting yep. those amounts or whatever or thinking next over. So but you do that you, that is a, a fair amount of foresight and whether or not you're going to do two sweet potatoes or six and mm-hmm. deciding there. Yeah. Well, you're deciding that in the meal plan. So you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to eat two sweet potatoes on Tuesday and f- four on Thursday. So then you're just once you've made your meal plan, you can just like add it up. Okay, six, six yeah. potatoes. It does. It does take time. It's not. It's not. Look, and this is something I feel sort of. I was going to say annoyed. I'm not annoyed, but I feel a little passionate about it lately. Is this idea that cooking shouldn't take time? It's. It's. A, very basic thing that we have to do for ourselves is like feeding ourselves, hunting and gathering food. This is something we've done for a long time. And, you know, we think about it, you know, the way now compared to Neanderthals, we do it much quicker. But like this idea that we have to do it, it has to take 10 minutes or that it should take 10 minutes. Either the cooking should take 10 minutes. Or I will say shopping that is be, one of the most anno- to me. annoying things of the publishing industry of which I'm a part of in the last however many years, like easy 15 minute meals. Like, it's just, it's like, really? Like, no meal is actually 15 minutes. That's true. No, that is actually true. No, and at, on Epic, we have 22-minute meals, and I've never been able to make one for 20, in 22 yeah. minutes. But, right, it's also, right, we shouldn't be perpetuating this idea that cooking, you should only spend 15 minutes on cooking. Cooking takes time, and cleaning up takes time. Yeah, and but it should, and why shouldn't it? And what else are you going to spend that time doing? Yes. Like, I'm very, I'm like, I'm really curious, and I, I know... Uh, the people listening are like, well, you don't have kids, David Tamarkin. And to that, those people would say, well, you don't know me. Maybe I do have a kid out there somewhere. <laughs> but you're right. I don't have a kid living with me. Yes. Sometimes my boyfriend acts like a child and I have to, mm, you know, take mm-hmm. care of But anyway, so yeah, maybe if I had little kids running around, well, you would know. I mean, does it, do kids like take so much time you have you can only have 15 minutes for dinner yeah no kids take time but it depends what they're doing what age i mean that's a wide range are they old enough to be doing homework on their own are they playing xbox are they you know hanging on you so yeah kids definitely factor in what, what i like also about the book though uh you know beyond all right making a game plan which i enjoy you've got the shopping list you've got sort of next overs plotted out you hopefully you also talk about having like your pantry and your freezer sort of in order for for yeah. cooking you know, but this the notion of cooking so much of the ethos of this book is getting in the kitchen and cooking. It is not getting in the kitchen and making everything from scratch with your sourdough starter and fermented, you know, homemade kimchi and whatnot. It's like it's okay you have a whole section on rotisserie chicken. Like yeah. go out and buy a rotisserie chicken, but with that rotisserie chicken, you can make a green curry, this or that. You can make a cob salad sort of deal. It's like mm-hmm. you can have helpers, you can have a head start. Yeah. I think that people should think of rotisserie chicken the same way that we do a can of sardines or tofu or tuna i mean there are plenty of fully cooked proteins that we feel completely comfortable just grabbing and incorporating into our cooking uh rotisserie chicken i feel has a little bit more of a stigma to it or maybe not a stigma but just people aren't as imaginative about it they just go home and they eat the rotisserie chicken which is perfectly fine although the problem is most rotisserie chickens in grocery stores don't really taste that great and they're 
dried out. They've mm-hmm. been there for a while. So I, you know, so at Epi, we've developed all these recipes for getting a little moisture back into the chicken, like braising it or just pulling it and throwing it like in some enchiladas. It's a great tool. And definitely, I think that there's no shame. I don't think there's any shame in anybody's cooking as long as they're cooking. I, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you, you want to start with a skillet sauce or a rotisserie chicken. I don't care. But I do think I do think you should be just doing the cooking. I don't think you should be always eating something that's been prepared for you. You have another recipe, which I like a lot, Vietnamese-style pork patty salad with rice noodles, mm-hmm. in which you very candidly say in the intro, uh, Italian sausage is definitely not Vietnamese, but when you fortify it with big hits of ginger, scallion, lime zest, and fish sauce, you'd never know it. And you're just taking Italian pork sausages, casings removed, forming them into little patties, grilling them up. And then you've got this rice noodle salad with some fresh cucumbers and mint and whatnot, and the and and it's like oh, like that looks delicious. And it's so because and rice noodles take no time. Yeah. It's just like, like tap literally, water, right? Yeah. Literally no time. Literally no time. Fifteen minutes. Yeah, Italian sausage. I feel like I feel like I see that used a lot in NBA, like in meatballs and meatloaf. It's such so much flavor in that Italian sausage. So why not use it? And that recipe, by the way, was done by Mindy Fox, who helped me. She threw a few recipes in here for me. So she's awesome. Um, how do you think people are going to use this book? Okay, I think some people are cooking along with me right now. Right now, I'm cooking through the entire, all the meal plans. So there are four weeks of meal plans in the book. What's your Instagram handle, if we want to follow? Uh, it's just uh, David Tamarkin. Okay. Yeah, T-A-M-A-R-K-I-N. Mm-hmm. You know, as if you guys didn't yeah. know. <laughs> as if you're not following already. So a few people, I think, are going to actually do cook. I think very, very few people will do Cook 90 exactly how I've laid it out to do in the book, and that's okay because that's not really the point. A big part of Cook 90 is that you eat whatever you want, and I'm not telling you how you should eat. I'm not telling you you should avoid carbs or avoid sugar. I love sugar. I love fat. I love carbs. And I just think that this is a, uh, in some ways a health plan because cooking is healthy just in all these different ways, but there's no restrictions. So it's sort of designed to be very, uh, very flexible. What I think will happen is people will use this book and they will cook a lot. They, these are very cookable weeknight recipes, and I think they'll just dip in and cook from it. And maybe they'll do cook ninety once in a while. Maybe they'll take do a week and say, "I'm going to cook ninety this week," which would be like cook twenty one. But whatever, who's counting? Uh, you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no way in hell I would ever do cook ninety. But thank I, you for your support. <laughs> Did you write that in the forward? I missed that line. That was in a little like a, a footnote. But I do think what potentially really useful about this book are those takeaway those can you instill those habits in terms of someone being like all right i'm not going to cook seven nights a week but you know what i am going to make a meal plan because i know i'm going to be home tuesday night thursday night and sunday night and i'm going to shop accordingly and i'm going to take that tenet of next over so my tuesday and thursday meals sync up and then I know lunch-wise, I've had a lunch date, I think, on Wednesday, and I've got an annoying meeting on Friday, but Thursday lunch, I'm fr- I can bring up, bring my lunch. And I, can you do that sort of cook 11 each week yeah, instead right. of cook 21? Mm-hmm. And I think if you can accomplish that, that's, again, like, I think that's more useful than cooking intensively for one month. Can you apply those tenets 12 months a year? Yeah, and and that gets back to your question before, but like, why make this a challenge why make it a 30-day thing and do it so intensively in one in one month the hope is that that's what at the end of that month that's what you do you take all these things you learned you kind of get meal planning and you know big shops and next overing in your blood a little bit and you take it uh with you for the rest of the year 
okay, your boyfriend. Yeah. What's his name again? Brian. Oh, Brian. Ever since we, you and yeah, I last yeah. chatted. You know, you know, you, so so you many guys, people just now... got depressed because they're like, oh, David sounds so hot. He sounds so single. He'd be so fun to date. He's got this glamorous <laughs> job at Conde's biggest title. Uh, and now you just, you know, mm-hmm. burst their bubbles. All right, anyways, after I helped him move in with you, yes. um, what is his take when you... <laughs> Go when you when you dig into January for Cook Ninety, you're like, oh my god, we're doing this again, really, David? Or he's like, oh my god, it's amazing. So many so many meals being cooked for me. He, Be honest. He hates <laughs> Cook Ninety. He hates it. And in fact, we moved in with each other about this time last year, in December of last year. And so we got in, and I immediately I was like, nope, get out of the kitchen. Like I'm, co- I have to do all this cooking. And it was a very rough transition. And, and later he told me, he's like, I think it was so rough because of Cook 90. And actually, he is leaving the country for most of the month. And I think it's because of Cook 90. And uh, I'll just be cooking 90 for myself. <laughs> that and is I amazing. think the reason why he hates it so much is because he's an amazing cook. And he and he loves cooking as much as I do. And he doesn't want to be told what to cook. And he, does, and he pretends to be vegetarian. So last night, pork loin was on the, pork tenderloin was on the meal plan. I was like... So I have to cook this. I have to Instagram this. I'm promoting the book. I am cooking ID. I am pork tenderloin tonight. And he was like, fine, I'll eat it. But he's just not happy about it. But you do make the point in the book that it's okay to cook with someone else. You don't have to make everything by yourself. You don't have to make everything by scratch. As long as you're in the kitchen cooking, you can still tag team, right? Absolutely. And I think it's better that way. Yeah, apparently he doesn't. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I feel, sometimes I want to cook by myself and just have my own moment and listen to NPR and hopefully hear myself and Mm, Adi talking mm -hmm. on NPR. That's always the best, right? When you're like, hear yourself on NPR while you're cooking. Yeah, I think it could be really isolating if you were to do the whole month of cooking by yourself. I think that'd be pretty uh, rough, pretty bleak. Yeah, I would say so. Um, All right, David Tamarkin, you can find his new cookbook, Cook 90, The 30-Day Plan for Faster, Healthier, Happier Meals uh, by David and the editors of Epicurious uh, in bookstores and Amazon mm-hmm. and all that right now. Yep. And you can follow you on Instagram right. at David Tamarkin. Yeah. Hit me up. Send me a message. <laughs> I, I respond. My DMs are open. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a lonely starting January 20th. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> David's single for the next like 10 days or so. Uh, anyways, <laughs> thanks, David. Thank you. You were so nice to me this time. <laughs> The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.